0: Matthew chapter 21. morning we're going to be looking at verses 18 through 22 and some lessons from the fig tree. Lessons from the fig tree. Until I really Began to study some of the things about fig trees in the, the Bible. I thought figs were just things that were that yucky stuff in fig Newtons. <laughs> How many of you love fig Newtons? Anybody? Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I have something to learn yet, my old age. Fig Newtons. making me shiver thinking about it. <laughs> well, Matthew chapter 21. We'll not talk about figs right to begin here, but let's we'll talk about Americans spend billions of dollars annually trying to look good. Advertisers constantly remind us of the most important need of looking good. Botox, diets, health spas, new fashions—outward appearance takes the forefront in our world today. Now we may lack many things in terms of knowledge and understanding, but no one can accuse us of failing to be wrinkle-free, stylish, and trendy people, right? Well, we want to—I want to quick, be quick to point out, for the most part, there's nothing wrong with looking good, okay? Not inherently wrong. I think most of you did a real good job in getting yourself ready for church and you look pretty good this morning. Certainly it's better to look good than to look badly. It's no sin to improve your appearance unless, of course, that becomes an idolatrous shrine. But the problem is when Concern focuses upon improving the outward appearance only to the great neglect of the inward life. It's the thought that if one looks appealing and attractive, that all of life will fit together into one big happy package. And yet when the inward life lacks evidence of divine life, the outward appearance suddenly loses any lasting value. And a window dressing of spirituality and interest in religion can, cannot suffice for the soul's great need of a fruitful faith relationship in a living God. And that's what Jesus is challenging us this morning here with this passage in Matthew 21. You know, Jesus had an uncanny knack. Of course, He's God, and He has the ability to do things that we can't do. But he had a way of making the most stinging points in the simplest ways. And in this passage, Jesus will condemn the fruitless, window-dressing religion of many in Judaism that's pictured here by the barren fig tree. And Jesus intended to present uh, in this tree an outward sign of the end of that which awaits hypocrites and at the same time exposes the emptiness and folly of their showiness. But he does not just condemn, but he also instructs us on the character of fruitful faith. Now the most religious people of Jesus' day were also the most presumptuous when it came to a relationship with the Lord, and our Lord intends us to rise to the challenge of that kind of faith that bears fruit. I wonder this morning, do we have that kind of faith? Let's look at our text here in Matthew chapter 21, beginning in verse 18. Now in the morning, as he returned into the city, he hungered. And when he saw a fig tree in the way, he came to it and found nothing thereon, but figs only, and said unto it, Let no fruit grow on thee henceforward forever. And presently the fig tree withered away, and when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How soon is the fig tree withered away? Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, If ye have faith and doubt not, ye shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also if ye shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be cast into the sea, it shall be done. And all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer believing ye shall receive. Notice, first of all, the challenge for faulty faith. The challenge for faulty faith. Now, we have an interesting situation here in our text. We find a very definite miracle. It's an unusual one, yet it's a very pointed miracle miracle, and it's a very pointed parable that is given to us by the Lord because by His power, Jesus withers a fig tree in order to teach His followers that, they're, uh, that those that would pretend to follow Him, He's trying to teach them something about genuine faith. I think the context of this miraculous parable helps us to see what Christ is trying to accomplish here. In the first scene in Matthew 21, we found Jesus hailed and welcomed into the city of Jerusalem as a messianic king, and we call that the triumphal entry. The next scene that transpired on that following day was the cleansing of the temple, and here the Messianic king and high priest assumed his responsibility by cleaning his temple of the corruption and the confusion that kept worshipers from rightly seeking God, and he declared the temple to be a house of prayer for all people rather than the robber's den that it had become. Consider what Jesus recognized in both of these scenes. He heard the many professions of him as Messiah by the crowd, yet knew the fickle multitude would soon turn on him when he failed to measure up to their intentions for the Messiah. He also perceived the empty, barren condition of the people's religious lives as the flea market scene in the temple exposed the raw nerve of the window-dressing religion being everything. So how would he cut through the disciples' dullness so they would understand the real condition of their own people? He does so through an involved parable, inflicting a curse upon the barren fig tree to expose a far worse reality among the religious lives of Israel. We find both nationalistic and individualistic implications, I believe, in this parable. On the one hand, it points to a nation that is supposed to be the people of God, yet who had traded their relationship to Him for a smug satisfaction of external conformity to outward religious practice. On the other hand, you have individuals that made up this nation, so the parable actually goes to the core of each person that made up the spiritual appearance of Israel. One person after another would pride themselves on the appearance of their religious window dressing, yet they bore no fruit. They bore no fruit of a right relationship with God. And that's the danger that a church can slip into even today. The same pattern, being satisfied with lots of activity, but inwardly they lack the Holy Spirit-filled life. And we must face the reality that, there, that little is required in our day to call a gathering of religious intentions of a church. One young man who said that he attended a church was asked about his thoughts on God, and he said, oh, I believe God. I believe in God. And then he was asked, well, good, do you believe that God is? Who do you believe that God is? He stumbled around for an answer and never really came up with one. And after a bit of discussion, it was apparent this young man did not know the God he professed to believe. That kind of faith produces no fruit. And you'll talk to many people who say, oh yeah, I believe in God. Well, who do you believe God is? And what did God do for you? Oh, I don't know. That, that kind of faith is not going to produce fruit. And Jesus challenges us here this morning that this is a faulty faith. Notice how he exposes this faulty faith. Notice, first of all, the promising appearance, the promising appearance of fruitfulness. When Mark recorded this parable, this miracle, He puts forth a chronology here of what took place. Matthew kind of just deals with it thematically. Mark tells us that on the way to the temple, which ended with Jesus cleansing it, he passed by this fig tree, which was in full leaf without fruit. Seeing the barren fig tree, he condemned it to never bear fruit again. And on the next morning, as Jesus and his disciples were heading back into Jerusalem from their base of Bethany, Peter called attention to the cursed tree and how, how it had withered. Matthew puts both de, uh, these days together and without referring to the time frame in order to unfold the lessons of this parable. Look at verse 18 again. It says, Now in the morning, as he returned into the city, he hungered. As Jesus walked from Bethany to Jerusalem, we find evidence of his humanity. He became hungry. The natural impulse of anyone that is hungry is to find food. It says here, And when he saw a fig tree in the way, he came to it and found nothing thereon but leaves only. Mark tells us that it was not the season for figs. But the usual picture of the fig tree is that it produces its fruit and then produces its leaves. So to see a fig tree with leaves, regardless of the season, would be a sign that it had figs. Perhaps that is a little early for ripe figs, and so Jesus looked for the, maybe the less tasty, developed figs, and even though the early figs lacked the natural sweet taste, they would at least have filled his hungry stomach. But all that Jesus found were leaves. Lots of leaves, but no figs. And so his condemnation of the fig tree was no angry reaction of being shortchanged by a fig tree. Fig tree gave every appearance, at least from a distance, of being fruitful. Fig trees in that part of the world would often grow to the height of twenty foot, suitable for shade, even as it says in John chapter one evidently no other fig trees along the road bore leaves as did this one, so it was an unusual presence of leaves that gave the impression that there was fruit. From a distance, one would look into the city of Jerusalem from the vantage of the Mount of Olives, the beauty of the temple glistening in the morning sun, and surely a visitor to the temple of God would see the holy temple, and the people, he was sure, would be worshiping a holy God. But as we looked at last week, the site of the temple was nothing, there was nothing holy about it. As we borrowed the words from Jeremiah, as Jesus borrowed these words from Jeremiah, he called it a robber's den, place of spiritual anarchy instead of spiritual vitality. Perhaps anyone looking at us this morning individually, as we've gathered here, for our church service, would say, Well, look, look there, the parking lot's full. There's a good number of people in the, in the auditorium. This is the appearance of fruitful Christianity. But what if they look closer? What if they look at your life? What if they look at my life? Will they see the evidence of people? who are passionate about Jesus Christ, not only on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday, as we're going about through our motions of worship this morning? Do they see us concerned about holiness and purity? On the weekend, as we're in our Sunday school classes, But do they find us devoted to Jesus Christ and following Him throughout the week as we appear to be in church on Sunday? This is the challenge of faith in Christ. A genuine faith is not just about leaves. We can have the appearance of being a very spiritual people, but it's just leaves, no fruit. And so there's the promising appearance of faithfulness. Notice, secondly, the certain discovery of fruitlessness. We notice that Jesus looked closer at the fig tree to see whether or not it had fruit. It says here, But he came to it and found nothing thereon but leaves only. Beautiful, shapely, sturdy, green leaves covered the tree, but that's all. Leaves supposedly gave, giving evidence of fruit, But there was no fruit. Jesus discovered the tree's fruitlessness. Jesus used the fig tree in another parable to express the same problem of fruitlessness and divine response. In Luke chapter 13, beginning in verse 1, it says, "...there were present at that season some that told him of the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices." And Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you, nay. But except ye repent, ye shall likewise perish. Then on in Luke chapter 13 and verses 6 through 9, we find the parable Jesus gave to follow up the warning about an unrepentant life. It says there, he spake unto also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. And said he unto the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I, came, I come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why cumbereth it to the, it the ground? And he answered and said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also till I shall dig about it and dung it, and it shall bear fruit well. And if not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. You notice there the owner of the vineyard came looking for fruit on a fig tree but did not find any. His patience was shown in that three years he had come looking and still hadn't found any fruit. But his patience would grow, would not continue always. Every provision was made for the tree to bear fruit. And if it didn't, it would be cut down. You know, we can put on a good appearance for others. So that everyone thinks we're wonderful Christians. Be assured of this. Jesus Christ will discover whether or not we have fruit of true faith in him. I think it is important that we ponder this emphasis on fruit. Many churches today are much more geared toward accepting appearance that comes through words rather than recognizing fruit. James warned about this kind of deceitful faith that goes to great lengths in an outward profession, yet is deficient when it comes to fruit. In James chapter 2, And please don't misunderstand me. Jesus looked at the fig tree and he found nothing thereon but leaves only. Even a little fruit would have been something, right? Even a little fruit would have qualified and been worthy in the eyes of Jesus. But there was none. Now I'm not suggesting some type of arbitrary standard that each one of us must conform to if we're going to call ourselves Christians. That happens in legalism, and that's not what we find in teaching in the Scripture. Instead, even a little fruit, even immature fruit that lacked the sweetness of maturity would have been acceptable to Christ and nurtured by Him. Some evidence of His character working inwardly and outwardly in our lives by the Holy Spirit surely must be basic to calling ourselves Christians. And let's not presume that just the outward appearance of being a Christian will slip by the searching gaze of Jesus Christ as he explained in the parable of the soils. The seed of the gospel planted upon good soil of a regenerate heart which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some a hundredfold, some sixty and some thirty. Be certain that Christ will discover fruit or fruitlessness. We come to inevitable declaration for the fruitless. And an inevitable declaration for the fruitless. Maybe what Christ said to the tree seems odd to the disciples. He said, let no fruit grow on thee henceforward forever. Mark refers to this in Peter's words as Jesus having cursed the fig tree. The word expresses an alienation or separation from blessing. Israel could experience God's blessing, which implied fruitfulness and divine provision as they obeyed the Lord, or they could face His cursing, which called for loss and destruction and fruitlessness by their disobedience and their unbelief. Jesus' curse of the fig tree was actual and parabolic and presently the fig tree withered away. From the roots up, the tree at its foundation dried up and died. When the roots of one's life fails to soak up the life-giving relationship to Christ by faith, just like the fig tree, that person withers up up under the divine curse. I think the great challenge for each one of us is to make sure that We're not simply presuming that we're Christians because we have nice leaves, because we have a nice outward profession of the Christian faith. So long as a person is content with just leaves of religion, with a reputation of being alive while he is really dead, and a form of godliness without the power, so long as his soul is in great peril so long as he's satisfied with just going to church, receiving the Lord's Supper, maybe, being called a Christian, while his heart is not changed and his sins not forsaken, so long as he's daily provoking God to cut him off without remedy. Jesus challenges us concerning faulty faith this morning. Every challenge of Christ is a call to turn to him and find in him a merciful and ready and able to transform us into true, fruitful followers of Christ the King. And then we find here the challenge for fruitful faith. The challenge for fru- fruitful faith. We find the disciples facing a, if you please, a Shazam moment. Remember Gomer? Wow! They saw the withered fig tree, but had not yet connected the miracle of the parable that Christ was teaching them. So we find Jesus patiently instructing them and applying the lessons of the fruitful faith, and He doesn't scold them for not catching on. Well, the Lord's patient with, with us, isn't He? Sometimes we're so dull and we just, just, we just don't get it. The disciples were that way, and so Jesus was patient. And he clarifies the challenge of a fruitful faith, not only for them, but for us. Notice, first of all, missing the point. We immediately find them missing the point made by the miracle-turned parable. It says, and, when Je- and the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, how soon has the fig tree withered away? Wow, that was quick. Jesus never wasted his words or his acts. He never used his power for some selfish motive. He certainly never used his might for impulsive displays of anger. So in his explanation, Jesus talks about faith. The kind of faith that is found in all that do not doubt and the kind of faith that is connected to believing prayer. That will follow For the moment, let's consider that the disciples missed the point made by the miracle. Now, we're not too hard on them, I hope, because how many times have we missed the point? Seeing a tree immediately withered as we find the disciples doing might have been wondrously amazing to us, Earlier in the transfiguration of Christ, we find the three disciples amazed at what they saw, and yet they did not understand the extent of the revelation given to them. You remember Jesus calmed the stormy sea, and the disciples, they were fully amazed. They said, wow, uh, who is this that even the winds and the waves obey Him? The point is that sometimes we miss the point. I'm afraid that happens quite regularly in sermons, and I'll take the blame for that, but it happens also quite often in the life as the Lord constantly tries to intervene in our lives and work in powerful ways. We're amazed at a way that we escape the uh, unscathed sometimes. We're amazed at what, what God is doing, and yet how many times have we really just missed the point? We might be like the disciple, how did that happen? How soon is the fig tree withered away? God commanded it. He demonstrated His power to teach them that the life of true faith will be fruitful. But He makes the point with them in a very vivid way. Notice making the point. What was missing in the religious people of Israel? Wow, they were... They were offering sacrifices. They were participating in worship. They gave their tithes. They prayed. They even lived very morally commendable lives. And that would have put them in the inner circle of, the most, of most churches today. They, they, yet they lacked faith. They lacked faith in God and His provision for them through His Son. They wanted a Messiah of their own design and they failed to believe that He had revealed Himself through His Son. Faith was missing. Paul makes the same argument in the Romans and Galatians, and only through faith can we be pleasing to God, as he said in Hebrews 11 and verse 6. And faith will produce fruit. Consider how Jesus explained it in his answer to their question of how the fig tree withered all at once. He said, Verily I say unto you, If you have faith and doubt not, Ye shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also if ye shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be cast into the sea, it shall be done. And this is one of those texts that we typically assign to Elijah or maybe Paul, but we think, boy, that that certainly doesn't apply to us. I can't have that kind of faith. That's not the case. He said, notice... If you have faith and do not doubt. He's not talking about faith in faith or faith in yourself, but he's talking about faith that has a particular object. That object, of course, is the Lord. What are you called if you have faith in Jesus Christ and His saving work? You're called a Christian, you're called a believer, or you're called a disciple or a follower of Christ. Do not doubt refers to the uh, disputatious mind uh, uh, or someone who is at odds with himself or someone uh, with a divided, wavering mind. It's really another way of describing the one that has faith. He's unwavering in his trust in Jesus Christ. And if we think that Jesus is only... Describing someone with an unusual, miraculous type of faith, I think we miss the point. Jesus is describing the faith life of his followers, and he does not hesitate to utilize a hyperbole in doing so. What is that hyperbole? That's a fancy word for what he's saying here concerning the mountain. Do we ever have an example in the Bible of someone having a need to command a mountain to be moved away? Can you think of a place in the Bible where it says someone needs, we need a mountain moved? I can't. Move this mountain, throw it in the sea. No, we don't have that in the Bible, but Jesus uses a common form of hyperbole that describes one who could solve great problems and seemingly do the impossible. Jesus Christ's interest was not in His disciples becoming human earth-moving machines. Now sometimes you might be working in your yard and you might have a pile of dirt and you think, boy, i would be nice if I could get that out of here. I just got to have enough faith. No. He's not interested in you becoming a human earth-moving machine. Rather, he's using figurative language here to help us understand that supernatural lives of his followers are that way because of the practice of faith. You see, living as a Christian in a godless society as we do, often in the face of opposition and persecution, and you think about some of our uh, missionaries who are in places in this this world that have a great deal of opposition and persecution. That's like moving a mountain. It's nothing less than mountain moving faith. Trusting the Lord to do something in an impossible situation, maybe in the, even that affects your own family, you say, this is going to be impossible. but not for God. Trusting the Lord in those impossible situations, even having a mountain-moving faith. What Jesus calls for is faith, a faith life that results in fruitfulness as Christians. Paul tells us, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Christians face needs, and our church faces needs, and we might say, well, that's a mountain. But because we've trusted the Lord to save us and sanctify us, we trust Him with these enormous needs so that all around us, often without even realizing, the fruit of faith is born as a display for God's greatness. So this is the point he's making. And he uses this illustration. But then he clarifies the point. And I think this clarification comes when we connect it to the last verse in our text this morning. In all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. No doubt many have taken this passage out of context and they've focused upon God's enriching them materially, satisfying their wildest dreams, and they preach a health and wealth, gospel. But what is the faith life? Is it living life to please myself? Is it not living a life to please the Lord? Faith focuses on what pleases God, doing His will, obeying Him, trusting Him with the issues of life. As it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 9, Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of Him and the call to exercise faith here in verse uh, 21 is not different from the call to prayer in verse 22. And all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing, ye shall receive. They're linked by the conjunction that puts them together to help us understand the God-word view of the faith life and it's not faith in faith. It's not just being optimistic. It's not just positive thinking, but it's faith in our God that suffices for the fruitful life. If we have faith in Him, then it implies several truths. Number one, it implies a relationship to the Lord. In fact, it demands that we have a relationship with the Lord. If you're going to have a faith life, you're going to have to have a personal relationship with the Lord that we're known by Him. How can we pray believing if we don't have a relationship with Him? There's a lot of unbelievers that pray, but their prayers are ineffective because they have no relationship with God. It also means we look to the Lord's goodness and His benevolence toward us as we pray. It means we have a right view of Him rather than a distorted one that tries to shape God into someone who just exists to help fill up our pleasure gaps. It's not about us. It's about God. And it also means that we believe in His power to accomplish what we humbly come before Him and ask according to His will. Sometimes it's misread here. Ask whatsoever you will. You know, what's your will? No, that's not important. It's not about me. It's about what God's will is. And we believe in His power. And it also means we rest in His grace. Which He avails for us who are so unworthy and yet we're called by His name. True faith is trusting in the revelation of God. And so here is the challenge of faith for each one of us this morning. First, do, you, do not get in your mind on, uh, on trying to, to figure out this withering tree or the mountain thing. Because Jesus is using figurative language here to express the reality of trusting Him in our daily demands of life that run contrary to the human tendency of self-dependence or complaining Or some other reaction. And it is a mountain moving reality to bring our needs to the Lord and trust Him to supply them. And to bring a situation to the Lord in prayer and believe that He's going to transform. it. How about praying for a loved one who's lost, never trusted Christ? That's a mountain, isn't it? It's a mountain. You can't move. But it's a mountain that God can move. And so we, yes, don't worry about the figurative language here, but realize what he's teaching us. And notice, secondly, we have to have a focused faith, because sometimes the mountain that needs to be moved is us. Talked about this in Sunday school this morning. Our number one enemy is not the devil... Our number one enemy is me. And as we pray, as we seek the Lord and His will, and we believe uh, Him to work in particular needs and issues of life, He often changes us, does He not? He strengthens our holy resolves. He increases our reliance upon His grace. He brings us to the place of contentment, and He gives us joy, even in the middle of difficult times. And then, finally, fruitful faith. Fruitful faith affects the character in your life and enlarges your witness in the world around you. The kind of faith, that kind of faith that does not affect your passion for Christ or your desire for holiness or your love for worship or your humility at the thought of God's greatness, the kind of faith that doesn't do those things, is a suspicious faith. If your faith does not affect your passion for Christ, your desire for holiness, your love for worship or your humility at the thought of God's greatness, your faith is suspicious. I wonder about your faith. Does Jesus Christ just find leaves Does he just find a window-dressing religion? Or does he find fruitfulness? Is there genuine, real faith in our midst this morning, in our lives? That's the challenge that Jesus is giving to us here in this passage. Let's Let's pray. Father in heaven,